0: Fright night.
1: She just goes a little mad
0: sometimes.
2: Wolfman's got
1: They're coming to get you, Barbara. Whatever you
2: do, don't fall asleep. We have such sights to show you. They're you!
1: You're listening to the jersey calls.
0: Hey everybody! What's up? And welcome back to another episode with the Jersey Ghouls. And Jackie, guess what?
2: What? <laughs> <laughs> He'll reach deep into your soul with your dead ball. Is that what he said? Some little red, red right, right hand? hand. And if that wasn't enough to give away what we're doing this spring... We are doing a deep dive. A retrospective. Oh, if, if you, you will. And I will. You will. I will. I'm doing it. We're gonna go ahead and tackle the Scream movies because they're cool. That's what the kids are doing these days. Scream is in once again with the hip kids. Yep, and you know I'm jiggy. You know I like to do what the cool kids are doing. <laughs> We're makarita yeah. for those of you at home. Yeah. We are yes, that was an Austin Powers uh, yeah. quote for the for the so-informed. <laughs> um, yeah, we are doing a a retrospective of the Scream series. We thought it was high time we really dove in. Yeah,
0: and I'm assuming that the Screams, the the franchise has not ended yet, but we've no. got six. It's so hot right now. So we figured the first three for this episode. Yeah, the OG. The OG trilogy, mm-hmm. and now the new trilogy well, for the next, the next episode. Time. And yeah. then, you know what, when more Screams come out, we'll do you. more episodes. You know, we'll be in
2: the home. We will be, and yeah. that's fine. And that's okay. I might, you know, I'll still watch it. I will too. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because when you suggested this, I was like, like, you know, me and my highbrow. I was like, we're not going to have enough to talk about all the, like, what am I going to say? But I stand corrected because there is a lot of stuff to talk about when it comes to these films, when it comes to 90s horror, when it comes to the franchise itself. I, I, this kind of renewed my love for Scream.
0: Yay. Well, you know, you've always been a champion of the first one. Yes. Really. And I mean, it's it really did bring so much back or not so much back. It brought horror to the forefront in the mid nineties when in the beginning of the Mm nineties, there was, there wasn't a whole lot out there. Um, I, I, I I forgot to mention we have covered the original scream. We did it a long time Mm -hmm. ago, several years ago. And actually I re listened to it recently and the audio is shit Because we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. So. So true. So so true. Um, But we figured that we would tackle it again because we are going to do this whole retrospective. But I do remember us talking about, in that episode, just the lack of horror. Like, really decent horror in the early 90s. Now, I do remember that I will always champion Demon Knight from 1995 mm-hmm. um, because that's just um, like one of the best. But I digress. Uh, but no, you did bring up the point then that there, there's not a lot to write home about in the early 90s. Like it really slumped from the slasherific 80s to, you know, 90 to 95. There was just kind of no, crickets. There was,
2: absolutely. And I think that this movie kind of puts a big fat like exclamation point after horror and it makes all of the studios realize that kids the teenagers in the 1990s were the ones driving the box office and if you wanted to make good money you took a couple of the kids from the TV shows they were all watching, and you schlepped them into a horror movie. And thus was born the 90s horror films. Yeah. Um, and n- really, 1996's Scream 1, if we could jump right in, is the is to me the OG of all of it. And this is a Kevin Williamson-West Craven joint. And what a great fucking duo. Because you have Kevin Williamson's like angsty Dawson's creakiness mm-hmm. mixed with Wes Craven's like just mastery, for lack of a better t- um, word, and just interesting way of understanding... How big what he's doing is in the moment, right? And they are just perfection as a writer director team.
0: They are, and I think it helps. Um, the year prior, Wes Craven doing Wes Craven's New Nightmare,
2: with stealing, I, you know, yeah, you're still in my Thunder. Am I like, nice? Go ahead. Nice. Yeah, this well, is I was going to on. it's
0: one of those things that, like, I think without Wes Craven's New Nightmare, um, I don't want to say without Wes Craven's New Nightmare, we don't have Scream, but I think a lot of the success of Scream, like, and, and and the way that they followed things, how they did things in that movie comes from how
2: successfully, how successfully they did it in Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yep. A hundred percent. And actually to quote you, which I did when I was doing my research, as you said, New Nightmare walked so that Scream could run. You said that to I me. I did say that to and you. And that is exactly <laughs> the quote that I used when I, in a thesis I'm going to circle back around to in just a minute. Um because I do want to talk about how we get there. But in, before I talk about how we got here, let's talk about the Gainesville Ripper, or the person who this this was actually based on. This is a guy who, um, Danny Rowling, who in like the, the, the early 90s ran around Florida, killed a bunch of people, used knives often, and then like propped up the bodies, decapitated a victim. I mean, really, really gory crap. And if you remember, and this is one of the things I love about Scream, what was the biggest place for parents and crazy people, which are one and the same, to get their news information? Where did everybody listen to for what what was happening in the world? Things like Oprah, mm-hmm.
0: Donahue,
2: hardcover, hard copy, you know like uh, what's that the one with the clock? 60 minutes, those are bigger than ever in the mid 90s. So what better thing to capitalize on than our obsession with, like, random crime? Mm-hmm. And the the character, to me, what makes this film so brilliant is so many of the things that it evolves with horror, but also the way it commented on the time, because Gail Weathers was the ultimate, like, perfect storm of all those horrible daytime TV ladies who were exploiting the fuck out of horrible, horrible, horrible tragedies. Because the suburban people couldn't get enough. right? So to me, the the mid-90s, the one thing Scream is so brilliant about pointing out is that this is a world before, like, Law & Order and all these creepy shows and all these serial killer documentaries that now we just suck up. This is a world where you had to do it through, like, Maury and Oprah and then it was okay. But a world where, nonetheless, we were fascinated as a culture with serial crime.
0: If If we knew then what we know now, Gail Weathers would be at the forefront of the a, true crime. Char- yep. She's the true crime podcast. She she would be That's like she would She's be serial the,
2: right? You know, she would be one of the and ones nobody that started would think off. twice about it now. But back then, it was still a little taboo and still trashy to because they did it in a trashy and taboo way. Yeah. Nowadays, we do it in a woke kind of way, right? This well, is the evolution. It's one of, of those it.
0: things. I think the bigger difference between then and now is we are we have the wherewithal to talk about these things in most cases, where it's less about the criminal. And more about the victims. Like we are not forgetting the victims. I think that that's one thing. Not all of them, mm-hmm. we're, but I we're think very we're, we're becoming more aware. And we're talking about these things in a more
2: tasteful light, correct? Where it's not glorifying and we're not the lying. Killer. We're not lying. Yeah. We're not exploiting. We're not uh, sensationalizing. I mean, when you think about like the Satanic Panic of the '80s, right through to this like mid '90s. Oh my God, you're going to get murdered by a serial killer phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Our parents were terrified because Oprah and all these people told Donahue told them to be terrified. When really there was no like the chances of a random act of violence are so slim to none in the mid nineties. Yet everybody was convinced they were going to get murdered, especially in the suburbs. Like, Where like, I grew I mean, up I mean, you can, in like, the Central Burbs. Park West, yeah. all, Central Park Five, all that stuff. We were everybody was terrified. Yeah, and this film so fucking cleverly put that nail on the head. And again, I think it opens a door and to a dialogue about it, you know? Like, in retrospect, look, Gail Weathers was the perfect 1995, like, villain woman on right. TV. Um, so, yeah, so, and I have to give credit here. I'm going to have a lot of sources. I did a lot of research for this episode. Um, there's an actual book from 2019 by Stephen West that is an entire di- academic dialogue on Scream. I read it. It's amazing. You can find it on JSTOR if you need it. It's, it's good stuff. And a lot of these ideas kind of developed and then evolved from there. So yeah, so here's, based on a real story, an iconic villain is created with Ghostface. Mm -hmm. Ghostface is effective, I think, as a killer. Like, when I think about the killers that scare me, he's not on there, but I think it's because I'm an 80s kid.
0: What I think can be, looking at it now, six films in, you know, 30 some odd years later... I think what is effectively scary about Ghostface, and I don't know if I heard somebody say this or if I just thought of this on my own, and if I'm taking this from somebody else, props to you. You've you've put that earworm in and I've taken it. Um, I think what makes Ghostface scary is unlike Michael Myers, Freddy, you know, the other, not Freddy, um, uh, Jason Voorhees, like the other masked killers, Ghostface it's always a different person. There's usually multiple people. You don't know who's behind the mask. Mm -hmm. Like with with Jason Voorhees, with Michael Myers, you know, even with the guy from the town that dreaded sundown. Like you know that there's a single person behind the mask and every time they come out it's the same person. I think that there's a scarier element to Ghostface because, and especially, you know, six movies in, we know it's usually multiple people. And you never know, and it's always different. It's always a different person. There's different motivation. There's different reasoning. Like, there's just never the clear, concise. You know, this is why this person's doing it. You know. You know what always makes me feel better though? What's that?
2: I don't know. Sydney Prescott.
0: So I'm probably That's true. pretty safe. That is true. Pro- but, uh, and I don't live in Woodsboro. Yeah. So and um, we're, pretty, yeah, we're yeah, pretty. Pretty far, far remote. removed from Sydney. So. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling okay about Still that. I'm feeling pretty good, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you, so real quick I'd like to talk about what became like I think the the trademark of this entire franchise and that is how self-aware and postmodern is as a slasher, right? Yes. So if we take it back to the 70s, we can say Wes Craven and a lot of people invented slashers in the 70s, right? Mm -hmm. We look at the 1980s, and in the 1980s, it was overdone, right? We took it and we just mass-produced slashers in the most ridiculous ways. Then comes the late 80s into early 90s, and all of a sudden, the well dries up. Everybody's sick of it. So what do they have to do? They have to redefine it. And I found an article by Isabella Pinheiro, Recreational Terror, Postmodern Elements in the Contemporary Horror Film. And she defines postmodern slasher as characters and plots in a film who are super aware of the rules of the slasher film. They are usually unstable people coping with traumas that are very real. Not entirely unlikable, but not really perfect. These films make an overt and ironic nod to the knowledge we have of the genre and its original rules. So basically, what she's saying is that it's Scream, right? The characters all know as much as we do. They're as well-versed in horror as we are. And mm-hmm. it's trusting us to be smart enough to get it, right? Yeah. So here's my hot take. Scream opened the door. And without Scream and arguably New Nightmare doing this, we wouldn't have elevated horror today. Because elevated horror lives on the, the the boundary that the horror fan gets it. The horror fan knows all the rules, knows all the genres... And is smart enough to pick up all the themes and all of the fucking multi-layered cleverness. I think postmodern slashers, ironically, because they make fun of postmodern horror in the new uh, yeah. elevated horror in the new movies. I think postmodern horror was the beginning of the elevated horror stage. I think it was the first time that people were like you know who's fucking smart horror fans will get it. Yeah. And Kevin Williamson, uh, the the guy who does like Buffy. I, I know he's hashtag canceled now, but. All of those other people—they all trusted us to get it, and without them, Jordan Peele doesn't exist today. Yeah, that's my hot take. A like twenty-four doesn't. Yeah, A twenty-four doesn't exist without um, Miramax taking a chance on the screen films. That's—they don't have to exist. Who, 825? How dare, How dare? I was like, Miramax fair, hashtag hot wine tea. But uh, then I realized you were talking about yes, So yeah, no, so I'm that's my balls. big theory that I came okay. up with. I like that. that. I do that like elevated that. Elevated horror yeah. is an evolution of postmodern slashers. Um, in spite of the fact that postmodern slashers hate elevated horror and elevated horror hate slashers. So kind of ironic when you think about it. But let's talk a little bit about this first movie, Sydney, all these characters. Oh
0: my God. So I have been on record recently saying that the Scream opening Is the best opening in horror. That opening with Drew Barrymore, ever. You're saying it it is a personal favorite. I think very effective. That it is up there as one of the best openings in a horror movie Um, because it, um, um, oh, what's the word? It 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 sub sub, subverts subverts your expectations because you think that I mean here's this movie starting starring Drew Barrymore. Famous, everybody. Here's Drew Barrymore. She was supposed
2: to be Sydney. She was cast as Sydney. And didn't she ask to
0: She be, asked to switch because she yeah. got
2: another, like, her, she couldn't, the time conflict right not work. So she asked if she but could be killed. But we didn't in the know
0: that. All we see is here comes this new horror. I mean, they put her on the fucking poster. I mean, right. here's this Drew Barrymore horror movie. Like, okay, let's do it. She's diving back into horror. And first 10 minutes of the movie, she is gutted. Yeah. So she's not the star.
2: And as someone who has never seen Party of 5, I'm like who the fuck is Nev Campbell? It's it's a film that definitely slaps you in the face and shakes you up from the second it starts. From the second it starts, I think the mes- the message is don't expect the slasher you thought this was. Exactly. Especially because the first conversation is a quiz on horror. And every single one of us in 1996 was like <laughs> It's, it's not it's his mother it's, 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 right like we're mushroom. screaming the answers <laughs> yes. the other thing this opening
0: aside from being the most amazing opening 13
2: year old me was such a um, dick about
0: it every single time I watch this movie you know what I do um, I want to go out and buy Jiffy Pop because I never oh, yeah. buy Jiffy I'm I'm a microwave popcorn kid you know we never did Jiffy Pop Mm-mm. we just you know put Orville Ruddenbacher in the microwave and booming out popcorn
2: lots of chemicals later every
0: single time i watch this i'm like fuck i need to buy you know what alexa add jiffy pop to the shopping list
2: she really did that guy no this this movie reminds me every single time that i should eat jiffy pop and i never do um i agree that that's one of the best openings in horror i'm not sure the best i'd have to chew on that a little bit but very effective scares me every time which is rare for anything in horror yeah. to scare me. It's a chilling sequence. I think the, the parents finding them is very effective. It's very, very like it, it's so Wes Craven, so strong, right from the go, and I love it. Now I want to talk about the teenagers in this as slasher trope teenagers, because I think it's obviously a lot of fun in this first one. Um again, that Pineto uh article said that in a postmodern horror film, slasher film, excuse me, the teens have to be a little callous almost cruel in their reactions to what's happening around them they're desensitized but it's not even their fault because it's all they know from the media and again i thought this was the generation that our kids would become watching like like my kids literally watched footage of the last school shooting yeah and i was like how the hell are people watching this crap like it's so true they're so desensitized and callous and it's like the postmodern slasher knew that's where kids were heading like they all laugh and make jokes about two of their classmates dying. Yeah. But that's how they'd react today too. Probably. I think Ugh. there's the naivete of like even
0: when it's happening in your town, like it's not gonna happen to me. Like I'm safe, right, I'm right, fine. Right.
2: There's this false sense of security. Right, right. You know? And this and this distance from violence, even when it's on your front porch, which blows my mind. Um, I loved the statement that in postmodern slashers. The teenagers aren't just like perfect lives who get invaded by this other. That they are causing the own violence and distress in their lives, and they use, of course, Billy and Stu as the examples. But they kind of the article calls back to the whole crew and how, like, even Sydney, in a way, is kind of bringing all this trauma into. Like, she's had this horrible thing happen with her mother, and she's very much kind of grappling with that in a way that distresses her. None yeah. of these kids are living like like hashtag best life, you they, know? They really
0: aren't. And I mean, you've got um, I, I think out of all of them tatum is probably but that's because she's probably the most oblivious like she's got she's the girl who's got
2: the good life yeah
0: and i think that like you know you've got randy you know the the unrequited love he you know he pines for sydney Mm -hmm. um he he'll never be he'll never look like billy you know he'll never be Billy. No, he'll never For be. For all guy the there, yeah. knowledge and as cool as we think that Randy is, because the guy that works in the video store that yeah, knows but he's all about He's still Harley's, not the one I'm gonna date. No, but I'm saying uh, that like he'll them. he'll never be a Billy. Oh, right, Billy, Billy. He'll never be a Billy. Um, but yeah, I feel like, and you know, and Stu is just. <sighs> Stu is just the most adorable oh lap dog. Really, oh my god, I love
2: him so much. Well, I, mean, I love the theory that they're 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 a couple, him and Billy. That Billy has kind of tricked him with sexuality. I think there is a little bit to be said, yeah, for that. Um, I don't like that Tatum is in on it. I don't like that theory. I was just gonna bring it up. I kind of like that. No, she's I nice. kind of, a, I don't think she I would I kind do
0: that. of a little bit like that. Or maybe it's one of those like, I don't know. Like watching it with that lens
2: of she was in on it. I don't think it's totally oh, bonkers. I don't think it is either. And I it, don't but think it upsets it is. me because I was rooting for her to legitimately be just the nice friend who's like a little flaky and like like we all know that person who's like fun at a party and and a friend, but really you, you they're kind of you know a they're flake. not the only yeah. really one you're going to count. They're not the on, one you know? you're going to call you're, when you're crying, right, you know. Like, exactly. but they're that friend who's like okay because they're they're sweet enough and they throw good parties. You know, like I don't know. So the thought of her being in on it is. And, and I love, of course, the most iconic, arguably, scene, right, when he talks about their rules. Like, I'll be right back, and don't, you know, don't lose your virginity, don't blah, blah, blah. Again, they take... They made us all feel so fucking seen. In 1995, with a bunch of 13-year-olds who... And, for, you know, 17-year-olds who grew up on the 80s, the 80s slashers, and they were like, here, open your mouth, we're gonna spoon-feed you everything you already know, and you're gonna love us forever for it. And it's true, horror has forever been changed since then. Where we just want... That wink and nod. We do. We crave it.
0: I like that we are so far removed from when this came out. Um, and it's just, you know, it's... it's any you know, people that, you know, in 1996, people that were 40 in 1996 could have said about movies in the 60s and the 70s. But one of the things I love is that we are so far removed now that one of the big reasons that Billy was a suspect was because he had a cell phone. Yeah. Something that we... Yeah. basically cannot live without in this day and age, yep. but he happened to have a cell phone. And all drug like, dealers have cell phone. Yeah, it's then. like, why do you have a cell phone? Yeah, if you have a drug, if you're a drug dealer, if you have a pager or a cell phone, you're up to something nefarious. I was mysterious. still only
2: on the pagers at that point in my life. And thank God, because I was always lying about where I was, so it was good that my parents could track me like there I track my kids.
0: Um, the, they talk about the rules, and one of my, you know... It, the thing about horror that has always kind of made me giggle is is how ironic it is that it is this, you know, it is this genre of you know the only you know you're weird for liking horror and you know people shun it and oh I I mean so many people when they find out that I do this show they're like mm-hmm. oh I hate horror I can't mm-hmm. watch horror, um, but it's so funny that like the the morality of the rules. You know, if you do something bad, like have sex, smoke cigarettes, drink alcohol, you are going to die. It's like the genre that they shun is actually teaching, you know, what the the, the church is teaching, what the school is teaching. You do bad things, you're going to get in trouble. It's the virginal people that live, you know. Um, So I've always found that very ironic. There is irony to that, yeah. But one of my favorite things about this movie that for some reason... I did not pick up on until this watching. And I mean, how many times have I seen this movie? But the... And this is... this It was this moment. Because I know that I've talked about, you know, my list of, like, who are my favorite final girls. And Sydney has never really been anywhere near the top of my list. But I'll tell you, the girl moved up into the top five for me. Because watching this movie uh, a couple weeks ago, for this episode, I realized something. She... Has sex with Billy. Mm -hmm. Even though she still suspects him. And I think that's a really fucking bold power move that even though she still suspects him,
2: she, 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 like, you know,
0: she, she has sex with him. Like there's this element of I've used you. Yeah. That I really, I'm like.
2: I, I like that it a was lot. a I power really move. Bad. and I, I'm like I don't thought know of that, it
0: that way, but I like it. yeah, like I, for some reason, like it just kind of came to me and my note was Sid- hmm. Sydney still suspects Billy fucks him anyway. it's a power move, total final girl. like she oh, told she sure. took that power back of virginity or not. yeah, be damned. like this isn't about my sexuality. it's about you being a fucking psychopath. you know, like what yeah. goes on in my Basement mm-hmm. does not determine my outcome, right? And I really like—I don't know why. Well, I think that that's hit
2: why me. it's so important that she does have sex, is because yeah. she survives in spite of it. So yeah. I do understand. I always took that as like a a wink and nod to Carol Clover that like you, th- she has sex and lives at- lives to tell the tale. Um, but I do want to serve I want to put a pin in in Sid and her sex life and her as a final girl because I think that's a perfect transition to scream 2 But I also don't want to rush so.
0: Um, no, my, just the, the, the reveal at the end when we get the big reveal, the the third act (laughs) at the house party, the house party is so good. I think the reveal is absolutely awesome. And quite frankly, my, my final note is Matthew Lillard in the third act makes life worth living. (laughs) Like some of my, some of the best lines from this whole series is is Stew? Yes, Stew. He's oh, kind of woozy Oh My here. God, I he's, love he's, him. he's he's the reason for the season.
2: Like I <laughs> quote his third act of that way more than I should on a daily basis. Like I really do. Yeah. Like like just. Oh, so good.
0: But you know what? Um, I, and I have to, I have to backtrack slightly because in the past, I've kind of made fun of Skeet Ulrich. I may or may not have called him a Walmart Johnny Depp. Um, <laughs> but honestly, like again, You're rewatching it, I'm like, you know what, Skeet, I love you. I'm sorry. You're he was so good as Billy. Yeah, and I mean, he was I'm like, so you know, uh,
2: like the listen, 14 year old me wasn't complaining if that's what he, you're worried about. <laughs> he was so
0: good and he just played such a good, good serial killer, unhinged,
2: yeah, self righteous, like, oh, and so we good. get we get what becomes a really important plot point too in Maureen Prescott because it's incredible, like. It, it is incredibly well done, first of all, the level of victim-blaming that happens throughout the entirety of this entire mm-hmm. franchise. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely a theme that I think starts to really get tackled well in the later films. But this notion of Sid carrying the sins of those before her, and also the notion of all these men trying to control her through this idea that she's somehow to blame, or her mother... Like, the, Billy's just one big slut-shamer at the end of the day. Yeah. And he can't handle that his daddy's cheating on his mommy. So he goes off and goes off the rails. You know what I mean? And then winds up raping her. And it's just a horrible, horrible narrative. And so, this idea of like Maureen being the villain in this first film, I think, is a happy accident for them because they almost make it like, oh, your mom was naughty. Look what happened. And later on, they'll do a good job of kind of becoming more woke about that. And I try to use woke without being like ironic there. But. In this film, it was kind of, like, cringy to me that, like, oh, you're slutty. See, look what your slutty mom did. And look at all this yeah. violence that's being enacted upon you. Oh, yeah. Because we men decide, right?
0: The if, real, the, if your mother would have just kept her legs closed, right. none, none of this, would, of have this would have happened.
2: Like, fuck you, dude. And I love that, you're right, I love that Sydney's still, like, fuck you, man. Like, I'll fucking bang you right now. Like, she's so, you're right, I like that reading because I like this idea that she's, like, throughout the whole movie, both her and Gail are like, nah, you're not controlling this narrative, we are. Mm. And that's what makes them such iconic final girls to me. Because I do think Gail deserves final girl status too. And I think that she does a great job, they both do, of being like, no, we're the fucking bosses here, and don't be blaming us. Later on, they'll, they'll get better at it, but don't blame me because of my mother. Or don't blame me because yeah. you, you're you fucking salty. So I do love that. But 19 only a year, year goes by, and they churn out number two. Because it's a fucking cash cow at this point, yeah. right? Um, so now Gone are, like, now they have the task of making it still ironic and clever. And they do a great job with playing with sequels with this one, right? Yes. Now that opening scene.
0: Jada Pinkett's character in the beginning, she talks about women of color. Oh, excuse me.
2: Jada Pinkett-Smith.
0: Jada Pinkett-Smith. My bad. Yeah. You're lucky I don't smack uh, you. Too soon? Too, too soon? soon. Too, too soon. soon. You can smack me. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, she she makes a comment in the beginning in the movie about people of color dying right. in horror movies. Oh, um, yeah. Good
2: point. Yeah. So they knew yeah, what they were doing like, by she killing did, off but, two and, black Which characters. I
0: did say that, like, you know, just, the rest of the so just two years prior, she herself was the final girl. She in was Demon Knight. In, I knew you were gonna bring <laughs> in Demon Knight. Demon Knight. <laughs> well, come on. It's Jada. She was the final girl in that one. But no she she makes a comment in the beginning about you know people of color in horror movies and the trope of you know they never make it to the end and blah 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 um this this opening uh obviously not as good as the first one but i still think it was effective It's
2: it's still super effective so but the second one i went to see it with a group of friends and people really were dressed up in the theater and it was bonkers. Yeah. And so when this, that scene hit and you're like looking around you and there's people in fucking scream masks everywhere, Jackie, that shit fucking got me shook. Like I was like, I'm going to die. Like someone's going to stab me in this theater. People were running around in fucking scream masks when I went to see Scream 2. So to me, it always, it just gives me goosebumps. It see, does.
0: it was an effective opening, but I was able to separate myself with it because mm. maybe it's just living in the burbs. I have never been to like a rowdy movie theater. Really?
2: Yeah. Oh my God. You know? People like, were in the screen mask when yeah, I was Yeah, no, to that's bananas. It. And they, th- the workers were too. Were, oh God, yeah. that's really bananas. Dude, but I was also in the city. Like, so yeah. it was like bonkers. Yeah, you know? I was going to say,
0: like, maybe it's just oh, the, it ver- packed, the AMC over here in Deptford. Like, the they were got nothing. Crickets, yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, see, that's interesting. Um, So with this film, though, we get a really good evolution of Sydney into a very, and I think a very interesting play on the theme of, like, the sins of the mother mm-hmm. continues to evolve itself. Um, I actually wanted to talk about Cassandra's Curse, if I may. Oh, I don't know if you did, if you delved into this at all, too. I didn't.
0: My only note on that is there's no way a freshman gets the lead.
2: Ah! Spoken like a theater <laughs> person. So, I found a wonderful article called Cassandra's Curse, Unheard Warnings in Scream 2 and Black Christmas by Jessica Scott. And this whole article... Um, Talks about how Sydney's real victimization is the the false narrative of, well, you're going to pay for the sins of someone else. Women should still carry the burden, right? Right. So Cassandra, for those of you who don't know, and I'm not going to pretend I knew before this, the Greek myth of Cassandra is that she is gifted to be able to see the future. This beautiful woman. And Apollo falls in love with her and she rejects him, arguably because she sees the future. And he, being a spurned lover, curses her, so that while she can see the future perfectly correct no one will ever believe her and so it this beautifully parallels sydney and the inevitability that her entire life she's going to see she knows what's coming yeah. She knows that Ghostface is her fe- her past, her present and her future. And I think in this film is when she really comes... And especially in the third one, she really comes to terms with that this is her fucking life. And like Cassandra, no one ever believes her. Everybody always thinks she's a suspect now. Like, it's such a beautiful... Like, when I saw it back then, I didn't appreciate how beautiful that mm-hmm. metaphor really is. Because nobody believes the women in these films. Slasher women are so... And you know which death I love, speaking of women who don't get believed or treated well uh buffy's Cece, yes a great homage to black christmas but what a fucking smart character like i love that the sorority girl is a sober sally because we did do that i hated when i was sober sister it was like the worst nights I ever mean, you'd have to stay up to like three in the morning but you'd have to stay perfectly <laughs> sober and drive drunk people around but anyway it was the worst i made you do it with me a lot but, <laughs> but like at the end of the day the idea that no one believes these women and nobody like cares that this is their fate is so poignant to me it also does a good job of showing just how evolved sydney is going to be because Sydney's not just going to be the girl who survives no we're going to watch her evolve through her survival so like laurie strode and you know what a sucker i am for that narrative we're going to get to see just how much all of this trauma is going to carry her through her life but we're also going to get her re- to watch her really be like fuck these men no this is not about my mother no laurie Metcalf." I'm so sorry that, you, and she's going to be the start of the female slasher, but the fucking film student guy? Like, get over yourselves. Yeah. Yes, I killed your son. He was trying to kill me. Go fuck yourself, Laurie yeah. Metcalf. And the empowerment they have, the way they use the guns, the way they really, in this film, just really solidifies her and Gail for me as, like, the most epic battle royale winners, uh, Final Girls. Um, But I'm talking too much. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> uh no you bring up a good point and it's it's something that i i didn't mention in the last uh for the first scream one but the introduction of guns in a slasher because i'm sitting here trying to think like yeah. of other slashers like guns are the easiest thing right and scream
2: there is always guns. There's always lots of guns. Well, in the f- yeah, there there are always guns, and I think it it, it adds to the realism of it because yeah. so many serial killers use guns. Yeah, and
0: when you think of just like slasher movies, like there's never it's like always you the know foul. like it, the seventies yeah. and eighties, it had to be yeah, like they had to be impaled right? with this. Yeah, like I just. You saying that made me realize that I'm like, there's always just so many fucking right. guns when, in this When people were bitching franchise. about uh,
2: the, the newest one and the guy using a shotgun, I was like, oh, stop. They use guns in all of the Scream movies. Yeah, they really do. Yeah, like fucking simmer down. I liked that
0: there was... Um, but we'll get to toxic fandom. We will. We will get there. <laughs> um, I like that a lot of the actors in this in, in this movie in particular that I had noticed... A lot of them had horror movies in their background. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because, uh, obviously, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is doing Buffy. Mm-hmm. She's doing I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, oh,
2: they purposely picked all these Yeah, you know, know it's like doing. I like yeah. that
0: they that they were using people. Like I said, Jada Pinkett Smith was in Demon mm-hmm. Knight. Uh, oh, I can't think of the name of her, Jada Pinkett's boyfriend in the beginning. Omar Epps. He ends up being in Dracula 2000. And it's just... I like that there was... I, purposeful or not. Or maybe it's just the fact that, like, at some point everybody's done a horror movie kind of thing. It's just one of those, you know, Hollywood milestones. You do a horror movie. Everybody's got to do a horror movie. But I felt
2: like there was just more... No, in the 90s, though, they were... I felt like there was They just were sniping more, those kids yeah, to there do there horror movies. More, yeah, there
0: was more in this film than... That I noticed. Um...
2: Well, and the the whole making the sequel a genre in and of itself is fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, like that whole conversation about well, name good sequels because there are a ton of good sequels, and Scream Two is a good example of a good sequel, right? Yeah, and like luckily. Oh my God, that fil- This the scene in
0: the in the film class. Maybe it's just because I, I went it. I went to college and had friends that were in film school, but like that, mm-hmm. ha- having that pretentious film conversation oh, with people God, every
2: day. <laughs> I still live for those types of conversations. Who am
0: I kidding? Um, oh, I love it. I do. But yeah, that one kind of brought me right back to like eating lunch in college with a bunch of people. And that's the kind of shit that you talk mm-hmm. about. And I'm just like, mm, yeah, I don't need to go back to 1999 right now. I'm okay. Me, You
2: know what this movie makes me do? I find myself saying, is Jerry O'Connell a bad actor? <sighs> do I have evidence to the contrary? And I'm not trying to be a jerk. I mean, I guess I am being a jerk, but somehow his performance, I don't know if he's just acting with people who are, nobody in that movie is like, oh my God, they're the best actor of all time. So it's not like he's like across from Ian McKellen, you know? But when I watched this movie, I'm like, why does his acting feel bad to me? I don't know.
0: I wasn't really paying attention to his talent. I was mostly looking at his face. Well, do you think, yeah, he does it for you? He used to. He no. doesn't anymore. No, he definitely not doesn't anymore. Do it me. He's a, kind of a wackadoodle now. Yeah, he was in Calendar Girl. Okay. This was like a random movie from the early '90s, and it was him and Jason Priestley. And it popped up on HBO like all the time. And for some reason, I just really loved that movie. Fair. So yeah, I was a big Jerry O'Connell <laughs> fan. And you know, when he was a little little
2: fat boy in Stand by Me, well, he was so uh, cute. Fair. Yeah, fair. I don't begrudge that. Um, but yeah, no, I think this film really adds a lot. I think it introduces the stab films, which wind up being a very funny plot tool for, for the rest of the franchise. I think the two of them create another really good film here. I mean, I just think it's got a lot to say. It does a great job of evolving them as Final Girls. It, I didn't see Laurie Metcalf coming um, when I first yeah. watched it, I thought the film student guy and they use it again in, in future yeah. movies and it's um, like getting a
0: little old, but this is one of the first times where I know we have to suspend our disbelief, but this was one of, uh, on the rewatch, I, uh, my note is on the rewatch, I kind of hate that Dewey lived as long as he did. Like I oh, think see, I I'm think I'm gonna
2: have a strong disagreement. I you there. think
0: Dewey could have died no. in one of the first three, and it would be okay. No,
2: I think that Dewey should. My hot take. Spoiler alert. My hot take. They should have kill, killed. That's uh, Gale spoiler
0: alert. That's one of my big problems with the current trilogy, is that they keep boasting about how things are different. Nobody's safe, but the same fucking legacy characters keep living.
2: Like well, they why Dewey?
0: Finally. He should... I feel like he should have died a long time ago. No, I
2: think that... I think Gail should have died in the sixth one. That's my hot take.
0: Yeah, she's another one. Uh, Fucking her and... Dewey and Gail have been shot, stabbed, put in a blender and kicked off a curb and fucking lit on fire and they keep coming back. And that's like the one sticking point But so does Cindy. But not as much as those two. Like, those two are like Hmm. hurt and presumed dead... And then there's just like random exposition at the end where like, oh, they're gonna be okay. Like, I don't know. Like, I, they, to me, like, they really prolong the Dewey Gale thing. Now, all that being said, I do love the Dewey Gale dynamic in the third one, especially with the Parker Posey character.
2: Um, Oh, I think that's funny that you like that better than their dynamic in the other films. Oh, see, I like their dynamic in two. Like, the only
0: reason I'm glad they survived at least until three, because then we got Parker Posey playing Gail Weathers.
2: She did do a very good job. So, but yeah, my
0: my hot take is, honestly, Dewey and Gail could have been killed in the third one, and I would have been perfectly happy. Like, I think they lived... I think they've overstayed their wealth. Fair enough.
2: I do not agree, but I also totally respect that. Yeah.
0: So we are going to take a break talking about the women in horror of the Scream franchise yeah. to talk to another woman in horror, our friend, yes. actor, writer, director, Rakefet
2: Aberdell. Yes. Welcome back to Jersey Ghouls. Thank Woo-hoo.
1: you. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I'm just it has excited been to see you long. guys. Thank yeah. you.
2: Thank you. Yes, we're so glad to have you on and we're actually having you on because we are having a very special mission and that is Mission Still. So tell us a little bit about it.
1: Mission Still. I like that. <laughs> um, so Still is the third short film that I am will be making. Um, Boo and Jackson Love are the first two. It's been about five years since Boo. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I think no. it's been four, four to five, four and a half years yeah. or something. It it traveled for a long time. So I think because of that, it, it felt like extended, like it felt like, oh, this just happened. But- Still is not to bring I always feel bad in these interviews because I'm like, um, we're all having fun. And then I'm like, now nah, I'm gonna talk about something really sad. Um, I had a <laughs> I had a miscarriage like a year and a half ago, which was obviously horrible. There's just no way it, it was just horrible. Yeah, um, yeah. and sad, and it was just really hard for me, and it took a while, but I managed to write about it and um Well, I was writing like in my journal about it, like throughout the whole experience. And then I was like, something, there has to be a reason for all of this. Like, I don't know what it is, but maybe I need to write a movie about it. And um, so that's what still is. It's not about my experience per se. Like, it's not what happened to me. Um, It's more about how I felt about the whole experience and like a metaphor for that, I suppose. So basically, it's about a, a, a woman who stumbles across a baby in the forest and decides to take care of the baby and make the baby her own. And then the baby disappears. And then, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, she meets a mother in the park when the baby disappears. And this mother kind of attacks her. And is like, you know, don't worry, you can always try again, maybe it's God's will, you know, just it's really common, it's no big deal, you know, and you, you know, if, if this was an actual real live child, nobody would say that to somebody, like nobody, if you lost your kid at the park, nobody would be like, it's okay, you can try again, there's, you'll have another kid, it's fine, you know, and so for me, that was like, it was a lot of well-meaning stuff that people were saying, but it was also like, you don't get it. Like, you don't get it, unless it's something that has touched you personally, in which case, obviously, you you very much get it. I had this whole idea of what the future would be for me and this kid, and then it was just taken away. And that's what the movie's about. The movie is essentially about her imagining this this life that she has with the, as a mother, and then it being snatched from her And then her being like confused and grieving and not understanding why she couldn't have this thing that she really wanted. The main reason I wanted to make this was A, it made me feel better to write about it. It made me feel like I could somehow explain to people how I felt um, in a way that maybe was more palatable for people to hear. Um, And also I wanted other women and men who've been in relationships with women who who have, this has gone, this has happened for them um, to feel understood and feel like they could say to somebody, you want to know how I felt? This is how I felt. And like hand them the DVD with the movie. Like this is how it felt to me. All of my, all of the films, all of them, all of three that I've or two and two and a half that I've made at the moment. Um, They're about things that are, were hard for me, you know, like Jackson love is about not being loved back, you know, by somebody and boo is about, you know, choosing the wrong things <laughs> um, to be to want you know what I mean over things that maybe you should want more and this is all and this is about a life that I never got to have that that I feel like I lost
2: this yeah. is gonna be really hard <laughs> I, I, I gotta say I give you so much credit I, I can't even begin to fathom the the just just the braveness and the and the like just putting yourself out there that this is going to require and I think that that's just mind-blowingly cool
1: Thank you. I wanted to find a reason that this all happened and I couldn't find one. And so I decided if I make this movie and make it like a mission, not just like, not just for entertainment, which I hope it does entertain to some degree in a very sad way, but also that it, it delivers a message and that it like lets people know that they're not alone and that I get how they feel and maybe other people can get how they feel. And maybe we can start talking about it and not be so afraid to discuss something that is so
2: common. It's one in four people. Perfect. Where can we go to support the film? And tell us a little bit about what, like, I know there's so many cool perks and stuff. So tell me a little bit about about what people can look forward to if they do want to help make this film.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, it's on Seed and Spark. The link, I'm sure, will be in the com. Or, you know, in the description or whatever. It's a still short film on Seed and Spark, and. Um, there are lots of incentives. There's social media shoutouts, and we'll put your name in a picture and we call you an indie film hero because that's what you are if you're helping. And I'm posting that all over the internet. Um, and a lot of people have been enjoying that and it takes a lot of time, but I don't mind because <laughs> I want to give back. Um, we also have set visits. We have, my mom runs like a chef page and she's gonna do all the catering for the movie. So she's offering a dinner for six. Sweet. Um, there's only one of those available in Los Angeles. Wine and challah are included if you want to make it like a Jewish Shabbat dinner. Awesome. Um, even if you don't, you could still have it. Um, and um, what else is there? There's producer credits. There's always producer credits, IMDb credits, stuff like that. All of these, All of these perks include special thanks. And then the one big credit we've been kind of promoting or pledge incentive, I can't even talk today. The one incentive we're trying to promote is the Love Scars DVD. Um, And I'm making a DVD compilation of all three of my films. So it will have Jackson Love, it'll have Boo, and it'll have Still. It also has behind the scenes, featurettes, interviews, teasers, trailers, crowdfunding, pitch videos. There might be a music video from one of our musicians on there. Awesome. Um, And it's really beautiful artwork and uh and so for 125 dollars or more everybody after 125 is qualifies to get the dvd plus all the perks that came before etc and for 50 you can get a digital link to still before anybody else gets to see it um you know you want so um also if you can't for whatever reason spare the
0: money you can share The campaign link. It's a heavy topic, but I'm sure just the, the art of filmmaking, there's enjoyment in the art of filmmaking, regardless of how heavy the topic is. Yeah, sure.
2: And yeah, there's catharsis in it too, right? I mean, um, like that's, I think, and and I think one of the things, if I could just be like, here's why you need to, to donate and be a patron of the arts here. I think the idea that you're destigmatizing this, this thing is is really brave because I think, you know, as someone who works in mental health, I see so many people still so afraid of so many things in this world and of talking about the hard things. And as someone who has very rarely talked about it, I'm like, yeah, you're out there doing the work that needs to get done so that this becomes more easily an open subject. I, I'm i so sick of it feeling so taboo. So I think it's really important work, you know? Very cool. And yeah, don't forget, everybody, you can definitely check out the Seed and Spark in the show notes. But also remember, it takes no dollars to share, to like, to to spread the good word. So please help in any way you can. But I think it's really cool. I'm so stoked to see it. We can't wait to support it. We can't wait to have you back on to to, to talk about something soon. Thank you. Oh, and it'll be scary, but I promise you no, de-
1: oh, no, no. dead baby. Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> (laughs) on that that upbeat note but thank you again for coming on we are so excited for everything yeah once
0: again uh, everything will be listed in the show notes and just on Instagram and Facebook on the Jersey Ghouls page we will make sure that we promote and link and share
2: everything with still and everything going on with Yugo. so now let's jump back in and talk about Scream 3 Um, so let's talk about 3 because you love 3 way more than most I do
0: So, so yeah, Scream 3. I uh, know many, many people that either this is their least favorite Scream or they like out and out dislike Scream 3. Um, I don't. I really like Scream 3. As far as the OG trilogy, it goes in order for me. I like one the best, then I like two, then I like three. Same. Like I go completely in order. Um... So, yeah, so he- here's my here's my soapbox for Scream 3 as to why it's not as horrible as people think. So there are so many slasher sequels that get really campy and get really ridiculous. There's always a random family member that shows up out of nowhere yeah. that gets shoehorned in.
2: Like, um, like in this movie,
0: like it, that's what I mean. Like, it, and that, <laughs> but, but that's just like that's par for the course. When when your sequels keep going and going and going. Okay. Oh yeah, okay. Freddy has a daughter, and oh yeah, Jason Voorhees has a Fair. sister and a niece, and you know, it's it. This is just par for the course, and I feel like they continued the meta ness of slasher movies in mm. Scream Three with it being kind of campy a little bit funnier than like filming it, it, it on you know, the
2: set of the staff yeah movie. like was there clever. was
0: like a little bit more i don't want to say more humor but like there were funny parts to it and i just feel like it totally fell in line with
2: the idea of a multiple sequeled franchise my hot take lamest open of all the of all six
0: yeah, I'm, I was never, like, Lame a big, stupid. like, because you know what? Cause nobody, nobody gives cares. a shit about Cotton Weary. Thank you. Leary. I was just to say, nobody cares about Cotton Weary. Like, nobody gives a shit about no, him. No, I don't give
2: two fucks. No one cares about I his girlfriends. Like, do I feel bad that he was falsely accused? I guess. It was an honest mistake. Um, it was more about the criminal justice system. Again, when, when she keeps getting blamed for sins that really aren't her fault. Um... But, yeah, like, fuck you. Also, like,
0: you have a talk show called 100% Cotton. Get out of here. That's so stupid. That's so dumb. That's so dumb. You go. worst ever. Well,
2: that's the thing. We're
0: sitting here saying that, like, who cares about that opening because who cares about Cotton? We didn't even know the two characters in Scream 2. Right, if it's a
2: good open, it's a good But, yeah,
0: and we love that opening. So, yeah, yeah, the the opening for Scream 3 was, it, it was not great. Like, again, obviously, of the original trilogy, this is the weakest one. But I think think it gets a really bad rap because I think it falls in line of a horror franchise with
2: multiple sequels. I think it's, there's a lot of very hokey, very silly things about it that almost feel forced at times. But with that being said, I agree with you. It's my favorite of these three. And I think at this point I like them all in numeric order, like uh, for what they are. But I like them all for their own reasons. And this one I do have a few issues with. Um... Like, I-, I liked that in this one, first it was, like, the sins of her mother, right? Billy was killing in Psycho because of the sins of Maureen. Then it was the sins of the actual Psycho mother. Right. When it was, oh, you know, you you hurt my Billy, so now I'm going to hurt you. And in this one, it goes back again to-, to Sydney as, like, the sin of the mother, right? But now it's Roman, the random half-brother she never had. Here's why I found a love for this in my second watch. And this is the only reason why I'm going to defend it as much as I am. I think this is a Me Too movie i think this is a me too movie made before there was me too and don't forget this is in the height of weinstein's horror right this is all happening in probably what is the worst period of hollywood's sexual assault being okay thing. what is
0: this this comes out this, this comes, comes out, out in 2000.
2: 2000 so this is this comes out in literally the heyday of all this it is very brave in my humble opinion for for Craven and not really Kevin Williamson. It wasn't even a Williamson movie. It was more Evan Kruger who would go on to write this final version. Who would later go on to do Top Gun Maverick? So obviously the guy knows his writing. But anyway, so this movie, this to me, this 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 was like a really brave, like, hey, look at what's happening in Hollywood. Let's talk about it without yeah. really talking about it. And so to me, this feels like a really Me Too movie. And I have to, I do have um, an article I want to give credit to. It's called Misogyny Birthed Ghostface. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how this movie deserves credit for being a Me Too movie. Now, interestingly, did you know that the original plot for this movie was completely different? I did not know that. Okay, so in 1999, Columbine happens. They are just about to go into production on this. They say to them, absolutely not. The original plot Kevin Williamson wrote was that Stu was still alive. And he was writing letters to kids in Woodsboro from prison. And one of those kids decides to go after Sydney and all her friends. In Woodsboro again. Right. They deem it too violent. They can't have it anywhere near schools. They say no, no, no. They completely throw away that script. It's only to for, for Stu, any hopes of Stu coming back to to die. So then that's when this guy, uh, Eberron Kruger, comes in um, and rewrites it to be this Hollywood story. But, again, they... They, they posited that the, her mother went to Hollywood to be a star and got repeatedly raped and violated by all these people, had Roman, and gave him up. So, again, the narrative that Maureen was somehow cruel to not want anything to do with a kid she gave up for adoption is icky to me. Yeah. She has every right to, to close that door and not want to open it again. Meh, serial killer psycho dude. Um, B... You were pulling the strings behind Billy and all that, which again just makes so much victim blaming. That really bothers me in this film, but I do love that. Like, it's it's really Sydney's story. In that, at the end, I love the part with the gate. I, I'm very moved by, and I am. No, I am. Okay, here's why I'm laughing. I I
0: see. I I get your point of of that. The reason I'm laughing is because my second note. Hey, Sydney, why are you arming a fence? It's not super high and someone could just hop in.
2: (laughs) Maybe she's got like electric, like uh, invisible cargo style lights. Maybe. But, um i'm a fat ass and i could get 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 my leg over that fence i
0: get the symbolism when she opens it all up but yeah i'm just like bitch why are you arming a fence like i get
2: funny i could hop that shit i you know what you're not wrong (laughs) i did have questions about her security plan in general yeah um like who gets a lab to protect them. Like, bitch, get yourself a German Shepherd. Right? I love my lab but that bitch ain't protecting me from no. anything I got, except a Reese's. <laughs> okay? I got this
0: a-hole over here. If you ride your bike past my house, he's like Right. Noni
2: would literally murder me in my sleep for like chocolate. So that dog is not gonna like, girlfriend, you've got a very snuggly cute little friend there and that is not your protection dog. Like, not kill, kill, kill. Like, what are you doing? So that's fair. Actually, that's really fair. I can laugh too. I'm a good time, gal. <laughs> I'm not i do just have. just dig about i dudes. do however i enjoy the the, the metaphorical that she's past her trauma and, and opening herself open. up to the world and you know what happens to her in the fourth one they fucking call her the angel of death motherfuckers anyway they're not I digress. Wrong.
0: they're not wrong <laughs> um the the movie I, I i always enjoy the trope of movie within a movie i like oh that. the opening no, just in general. Oh like no, yeah, plot. sorry. Like I, just I thought for it. Never mind. The, the, go back. The, yeah, the movie within a movie trope. Which, I can't. Yeah, they, they do it in four, four too. The, the beginning, but yeah, like but the. Yeah,
2: I'm a sucker for a movie in a movie too. I'll yeah, give you that. I like. that I don't think this film is as bad as everybody makes it out. Today. I don't. know yeah. it's not
0: great. It is the no, weakest of the original, yeah, but it is not sure. bad by any stretch. Yeah, like I, it's it it's good again for what it like, is But that's going to fucking look at fucking Freddy's dead. Like it gets ridiculous. No, Freddy's dead.
2: That's for sure.
0: the 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 longer the sequels go on sometimes they get ridiculous um hi jason x you know he at least we didn't spend send anybody from the scream franchise to space yet not yet Yet. the power of
2: yet jackie that's true they did Um, just
0: go to manhattan so
2: maybe space is next that's true (laughs) and i also think that when we talk next episode we can talk about how they've done a good job of Waiting a while and then avoiding to be, avoiding silly and avoiding the traps of a franchise. Mm-hmm. Because it, like Chucky, it's done a really good job of avoiding mm-hmm. the traps of the franchise. Yes. Um, but that's for next time. That is for Instead, next time. Instead, I will simply say that I think that Scream Theory is perfectly palatable. Yeah. <laughs> and and low-key a Me Too movie. They were They were <clears throat> crying out. And you know what's sad to think about, though? How many women who probably were in that movie, involved with that movie, were secretly at that time also being violated? Carrie Fisher. I know it messes up your head. Like God, they were literally dangling in Miramax's face the horrible things that Harvey Weinstein was doing, low key in their movie. Yeah. And we didn't even we didn't, we even didn't realize know. what it was. We didn't know. Nope. And now you look at it and you're like, you were me tooing, but you didn't have the balls to actually me too at the moment, which is sad.
0: When uh, we, when we get to the scene where we get to watch Randy's video, hmm. did it, did it tug the heartstrings? Did you oh, tear it up a little sells. bit?
2: And, and I love that it's his niece and nephew in the new series. Oh, they're my favorite. Yeah, the twins are my love favorite. Them. Love um,
0: Yeah. When, when we find out, you know, cause we have to have the rules for the trilogy. But again, my note here is if you are going to boast trilogy rules, then Dewey, Sid, or Gale should have died. I feel like with every movie, with three, with four, with five, with six, every single time we go through the rules again, they always talk about nobody's safe, we're gonna turn it on its head, legacy characters aren't safe, but they are, every time, almost, you know? like almost, yeah. You know, again, you, you boasted the, the trilogy rules, you made
2: such a big deal out of it. And you're, I can't believe you're, you're you really want them. Like, they bother you. You're, their presence bothers you. Only because it doesn't
0: make any sense that you are going to, like, drive home the nobody is safe thing, that anything can happen, anybody can die, we're turning it on its head, and the the three main people don't die. You want to really drive that right. home, you kill one of them. Maybe not Cindy. Can't, You can't said Sydney. No,
2: it has to... If they were in their heads ending the series there... It made sense that she had to walk away. It, right. it did. It was no, the I arc agree. she deserved. I don't, yeah. I
0: don't disagree that her walking away at the end, opening the fence, I don't, I, I, I enjoy like that, the that past, ending.
2: She tries to put the past behind her, but <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Um, but I mean, yeah. Geez, even Gail <clears throat> is blamed for Ghostface in this one, when the, like, when they're like, oh, see what you did? Look yeah. at all this media attention. It's, we're jealous, so that's why we did, like, what? Roman, stop. That You're past your bedtime, also, you need a spanking and to go to bed.
0: Having very recently watched Felicity
2: for the first time ever <sighs> oh, last year, no. I was like, No, so yeah, so that's the first three screen films. I think they are so big in horror. Yeah, I don't even think at the time we realized how important they were going to be. I didn't see the franchise coming back as strong as it has. I'm so here for it. I love Ghostface, I think. We don't have nearly enough of those kind of legacy killers these days. Mm -hmm. But because I just don't think there's any room for, like, I like that Art the Clown is in, in in the narrative, but I don't know that I love that that's where the slasher is landing. I like that Chucky has come back to the fold. I love what Chucky is doing for postmodern. But think about it. It's very elevated horror. I know you're going to like roll your eyes at the idea of no, the I, Chucky I... series being elevated, mm. but those kids know their fucking shit. Yeah. And they use the technology around them to their advantage. <clears throat> like, I, I think Chucky yeah. is doing a good job of being a postmodern or like... Elevated slasher.
0: I recently watched season one on your recommendation of the Chucky series. Yeah, so freaking good. Oh my god, I'm annoyed that Shutter doesn't
2: have season two. Season one, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my god, so good. And the characters are really good. And again, it's I think it's a smart. It's a slasher, but it's an elevated to me. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. But anywho, I digress. I think this film opens. This film series opens the door to modern horror. It does. I agree. All right, so tune in
0: next episode where we are going to discuss Scream 4, 5, and 6. And until next time, kids. Stab, 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 stab.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll see you next time for some more stabby. Uh, bye bye.
1: You're listening to the Geekscape Network.